What's up, everyone? Welcome back to a special episode of Step 2 Simplified. As always, my name is Bo, and I'm joined today by none other than my compatriot and good friend, Bobby M. Yo, what up? How's it going? Reporting <laughs> for duty. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so Bobby and I go way back since grade school, and he is in the midst of his medical education, very high-achieving, high-scoring student, so good to have him on this podcast. And he just took Step 2 CK, right, Bobby? Yep, I did. How many months ago? Sucked. Uh, I took it. <laughs> end of last month. Perfect. Okay. So you're the perfect man we, that we need for this podcast. Okay. Um, and I started off saying that this was a special podcast, and I meant it because in addition to having Bobby here joining us today, we're starting a new kind of mini-series within the Step 2 Simplified podcast called Buzzwords. And the premise is simple. Bobby and I will pimp each other on buzzwords related to Step 2 CK. The one twist is that both Bobby and I, in front of us, have a beverage of our choosing. Bobby, what are you drinking today? Today, I am drinking Assistant Manager. It's a gold nail by uh, Seventh Sun Brewing Company, which is actually local to Columbus. Seventh Sun. Very cool. Awesome. So we're, we're taking... What are you oh, sipping on? Uh, I am taking a uh, Blood Orange IPA by the 21st Amendment Brewery. Uh, so that's what I'm nice. sipping on. Um, and the whole point of this uh, podcast is... Um, so we have these beverages of our choosing, and then whenever we get an incorrect answer, whenever you know Bobby has a buzzword and I don't get it correctly, um, and probably sometimes when we're even correct, we'll need to drink from that said beverage. So feel free to join along, of course, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. But without further ado, pause the episode if you need to grab a drink, and let's get started. Also, probably shouldn't be drinking if you're operating really any machinery, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, crack what you got, boys. get started so my first buzzword today for you for 100 points is if someone said or if a question stated elevated jvp with inspiration what would that make you think of so that sounds like uh kushmal sign to me and that is either one of two things it's either asthma or uh cardiac tamponade yep and i think given that this is the cardiac focused uh, buzzwords podcast i'm gonna go with cardiac tamponade ah very intuitive i'll drink to that <laughs> cheers i'll drink to that you know People who watch a lot of podcasts uh, really love, you know, mic noises with like slurping, like eating food, liquid drinking. So I, you know, this this one's for the viewers at home. Bobby, can you break it down real quick? Uh, just like 30 seconds. Like why is this happening in these disease processes? Yeah. So if I remember correctly, it kind of boils down to when you breathe in the normal processes that blood returns to the heart. So you have an increased blood volume. And these processes that cause, you know, Cushmall sign and increased JVD revolve around uh, that heart not being able to accommodate the increase in blood volume. And so you actually get a transient increase in pressure that's transmitted from the right to the left side of the heart. And that shows up as the uh, venous pulsations. Cool. Makes sense. So uh, say somebody, for whatever reason, had a cardiac cath or an angiogram done. And they're a few hours post-op, or maybe it's the next day, and uh, they they procedure was fine, but they're complaining that their their toes turned blue, or they have this weird uh, lacy reticular rash. What happened? Ooh, lacy reticular. Um, that sounds like, the lacy reticular sounds like the levita, levitico reticularis, is that what it is? And, yeah, uh, levito reticularis. Levito, and uh, the toes, basically the whole picture sounds like you dislodge some like atherosclerosis and you cause basically some atherosclerotic emboli, and basically just have obstruction of now arterial circulation to these toes and to poor kind of superficial blood vessels. Yep, that is correct. Sweet. Do we drink to that? I'll drink to that. When do we drink? <laughs> I think we just drink it after every question. So okay. for the viewers at home, the longer you listen, trust us less. <laughs> All right. This one is kind of quick and simple. If I say S3 Gallup, what should that make the test taker think of? 
Does that mean that this fluid overload or is that this four? I always get those two mixed up actually. So this is, yeah, this is kind of the learning point. S3 is someone with a dilated cardiomyopathy. So like the floppy ventricle, it's like the blood hitting. Um, so it's blood hitting blood. And then S4 is blood hitting. Like a stiff wall. ventricle, exactly. So like okay. if you have a patient and in the question stem, you're thinking about like a cardiac issue and, and you don't really know, but they give you an S3, start thinking about reasons that can cause a dilated cardiomyopathy. Think about um, just underlying, you know, low EF heart failure from, you know, a myocardial infarction. Um, think about drugs, think about all these things that you know cause dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, and if they give you an S4 gallop and you're thinking about now a stiff ventricle, you need to start considering uh, things that cause diastolic dysfunction, such as hypertension, aortic stenosis, um, things like that. If someone gets an S4 or, or you hear an S4 in a younger individual, just remember that younger patients, athletes, they can have like a thicker ventricle just because they're actually athletic. So it could be normal enough. But in anyone else, older guy, and all of a sudden they have shortness of breath, think about, you know, diastolic dysfunction. Okay. And uh, what do you know the uh, geographical mnemonic for people that are listening to uh, be able to differentiate an S3 versus an S4? Wait, the geographic mnemonic? Yeah, like Kentucky versus Arkansas. No, tell me about that. I don't think I've heard that. So if you they both have three syllables so like kentucky or arkansas um and it has to do with the timing of when the gallop comes after s2 so kentucky it's a little bit delayed so that would be an s4 versus arkansas is earlier and so that's how you can tell it's an s3 versus an s4 although that might be backwards so i'm gonna double check that right now can because like s4 i think of like dun 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 like it's before the s1 almost like it's so late and then the right. s3 is dun 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 Prove me wrong. Okay, yeah. So, Kentucky. So, that's for S3, actually, which I may or may not have said earlier. So, Kentucky, the S3 comes right after S2 versus... Oh, it's Kentucky and Tennessee. No wonder. <laughs> um, and then Tennessee, so it's S1, S2, S4. S1, S2, S4. So, that's a little mnemonic. Maybe it's more popular in the Midwest versus uh, you coastal elites uh, as a mnemonic to help remember what it kind of sounds like when you're, when you're auscultating on a patient. Cool. I learned something too. Alrighty. So, uh, patient comes to the ED and they are having tearing chest pain after they did cocaine 30 minutes ago. What's going on? Okay. Just with that information and cocaine, I think about vasospasm. Um, I also think about cocaine elevating blood pressure and potentially causing a dissection. So those would be the kind of the first two things on my mind. Yeah. So I was going for dissection. I think, uh, tearing, kind of is easier to remember being associated with aortic dissection, like you're tearing the aorta open and it gives you an owie versus yeah. I think vasospasm pain is more kind of the typical, you know, angina, unstable angina, STEMI type picture that you have and that it's more of like a, a pressure, but it just kind of comes and goes. Perfect. And what medication do we not give someone on cocaine? So you don't want to give them beta blockers, although that's more of a academic kind of exercise. And I don't know that there's any evidence that giving a beta blocker to somebody who is, yeah taking cocaine actually will cause them to uh, not do well because there's plenty of times where you know patients are dishonest in terms of what uh, events were kind of leading up to them presenting to the hospital so I'm sure there's been a few people who have been on cocaine or other stimulants and have gotten a beta blocker and have done fine I'll drink to that me too <laughs> all right I got an EKG question <clears throat> everyone's got to use their imagination so you get an EKG from a guy that comes in who had a syncable episode two hours ago and the EKG wasn't working, the printer wasn't working, but all that came out was this text. Unexpected drop beats 
without a change in PR interval. What does that make you think of? So that sounds like a heart block to me, and it uh, sounds like Mobitz type 2 specifically. Perfect. And for a, a thousand points, the toughest question of them all is where in the conduction system is likely the fibrosis or the pathology in a Mobitz type 2? So if I remember correctly, it's actually below the AV node. Nice. So this is not rehearsed, people. This is a this is all natural, genuine Bobby M intelligence. Wicked smart. Although Wicked it feels kind of weird to say that about myself. Not really. Uh, an easy way to remember is that if you think about it, it's like first, second, and third degree. So if you're starting at the top of the heart, you got your first degree heart block and your Mobitz type one. Those are either um, above the AV node or at the AV node. And then Mobitz type two and type three heart block are below the AV node. Yep. So it's like easier to manage Mobitz one and, and first degree if you need to because you can use atropine and it de like directly can help um, decrease like the vagal tone and the parasympathetics. But once it gets into the conduction system, the fibrosis would, that is, um, there's really no medications that can help you at that point. And thus, um, pacemaker placement is, is generally indicated for Mobitz two and third degree. Good, well done. So a baby comes into the office. I don't know how they got there. I guess they drive themselves. And uh, you take a listen and you hear a continuous machine-like murmur. What's going on? Machine like that's the PDA, right? You have a patent ductus arteriosus. Yep. And if I wanted to close the PDA, I would give them indomethacin, right? Mm-hmm. And Correct. if we needed to keep it open because let's say the baby had some other anomaly where she needed that PDA to survive, then you would give some synthetic prostaglandin, I think. Yeah, that's right. So uh, if this was a fresh baby and it's within you know the first couple weeks of life, which is when the uh, the ductus arteriosus normally closes, but they had some sort of congenital heart disease that made them kind of dependent, which is kind of out of the scope of this buzzword podcast. Um, then you would give prostaglandins to help keep it open until they could get some sort of definitive surgical repair. Right. Cool. All right, I got another EKG one. <clears throat> the patient comes in, and they also had a syncopal episode, and the EKG machine still isn't working. And all you read on the EKG paper is polymorphous QRS complexes, does that bring up anything immediately? So that would make me think of V-fib or uh, torsades. Yep. That was my next question, is, is then how would we differentiate between the two? And, and that's exactly right. You would start thinking about, um, I mean, they look very different on EKG, so it's hard to confuse them when you have an actual picture. But yeah, V-fib would be something you definitely see in ACLS or heart attacks. And then torsades is something that you would see, and, and you'd start thinking about if the person comes in and they have a long QT interval, or they have a history of long QT, or they're taking, you know, multiple medications such as antipsychotics and antihistamines, among other things, uh, that cause that QT prolongation. And so if they came in with VFib, we would treat them with, you know, electrocardioversion and ACLS protocol. Let's say they came in with torsades, what would be the first line for torsades? So you start with MAG, and then if that doesn't work, then you kind of go down the same ACLS protocol. Yeah, definitely MAG, I think, is, is the uh, the key key thing there, is that you see torsades, immediately start thinking about MAG. Um, whether checking the mag or administering mag, um, it's always something that we need to consider uh, when we see those polymorphous QRS complexes. I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. We're not getting any wrong, Bobby. We're supposed to make these hard enough that we actually have to drink for the incorrects. Well, the thing is, is like we're wicked smart, you know. We got big brains. They're hella wrinkled, unlike our skin, which is pristine because we stay indoors all the time. Quarantine, baby. Um, like, Quarantine. you know, what, what are we gonna do? Right. I moisturize. I don't, but I'm just wet, so it's fine. Let's take a little pause real quick. How is your drink, genuinely? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's a little warm. We established uh, that. 
Yeah, but that was before, and now it's even warmer. So it's fine. Yeah. Would you, you get know, it again? I'm not. I'm not picky. Yeah. I mean, I have a little six pack waiting for me. So well, it's a five pack at this point. So I'll drink it. And you said it was a, a, nice a golden ale on it. It is. Yeah. Okay. Do you like golden ales typically, or is it is it your go to, or is it something you picked up randomly? No, I kind of shop around. I feel like you go through phases. I like. I do like IPAs, but sometimes it can be a bit much just on the bitterness standpoint. So I'll go for like something a little more fruity or just a little bit more mellow. Um, so that's why I kind of went for a golden ale today. Really, it comes down to how cool the label looks and the price, you know. Isn't that interesting how like the label plays such a big part in, I guess, I, I mean, I guess it's across all things, but especially it seems like for beers or for any type of drink, um, the label plays a huge part in, in deciding what to get. Yeah, I feel like that's been a relatively recent thing too with kind of the explosion of like craft breweries and stuff. Because like, you look at like a Bud Light label or like a Corona label, like they're like there's nothing really going on. Like they just look like right. you know whatever. They have their name going for them, but like they don't need to establish themselves now. Like, right? They don't need to be memorable in the way that you know Twenty First Amendment Brewery needs to kind of differentiate yeah. themselves. I guess they're not trying to stand out. They're just like old reliable and like got right. that market share. Like they don't give the a, people that are gonna get Coronas are gonna get Coronas. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of the, but who knows? Maybe people, they could. the people out not wearing masks are gonna get Coronas. Oh my gosh, it's true. Yeah, on a scale from a 0 to 10, 10 being the best beer you've ever had, and 0 being uh, basically just water, what would you rate your beer? Um, well, I, I don't think it's fair to give water a 0, because, like, I mean, Hydro Homies for life, but it's it's also not fair because it's, it's again, it's room temperature. Like, it's it's really, it's warm. So <laughs> I, I would give it, like, a 6. Like, I'm okay. sure the, the rest of these that are waiting for me in the fridge that are nice and cold will be delicious, but, you know, here we are. Here we are. Perfect. All right, I have one more for you. Two more. All righty. I'll drink to that. All right. Um, you get a patient, and all you know, and they come with chest pain, and you're trying to decide, like, what's the etiology of this chest pain? So you get labs, and you get imaging, and you find that they have an elevated uh, set of cardiac enzymes, but on their EKG, they don't have SD elevation. What does that immediately make you think of? Sounds like an end stemmy to me. Perfect. Awesome. So... Elevated troponins and CKMB, but no SC elevation. You think about NSTEMI. If they had this chest pain that was, you know, suggestive of coronary artery disease and they didn't have troponins or um, EKG changes, then you think about unstable angina. And it, it, in regards to the treatment, they both actually are treated very similarly. Um, and then, of course, if you have that SD elevation in STEMIs, then you, um, it's less a demand ischemia. Now it becomes more of a supply ischemia. There's actually no blood getting to the tissue, and thus you need to go in there and and procedures and PCIs and stents and potentially surgery um, if more complicated. So that's kind of the breakdown of acute coronary syndrome is, you know, you have your stable angina, the person understands what, what their triggers are, it's kind of stable, it doesn't get worse um, over time, they take their nitroglycerin, it goes away, and then unstable is now, hey, now at rest I'm, I'm starting to have this pain, now my nitroglycerin isn't working so well, and then uh, NSTEMI is still demand ischemia, the blood, once or the heart, once stressed, um, just needs a little bit more blood and therefore start seeing some changes in troponin leaking and then STEMI is of course the the emergency emergency where um, the heart is going to die unless you intervene and uh who is Mona and why does she keep trying to bash on me oh man Mona Mona uh Mona stands for Mona bash is the treatment protocol or I guess a very generalized kind of step two treatment outline for uh, acute coronary syndrome Mona is M morphine O oxygen N nitroglycerin or nitrates A aspirin bash and that's kind of like acute setting someone comes in they're in pain you can morphine oxygen to help them breathe nitroglycerin to decrease preload and prevent spasm of the vessels and then aspirin as an antiplatelet and then bash is kind of more long term if they're not in unstable heart failure you can give them a beta blocker that's the d in bash um the a is 
Remind me what the A is. So the A is for um, aces and arbs. Okay, ace arb. Okay, S is for statin, and then H is for heparin. Is there anything I missed or any of that incorrect? No, that's uh, that's correct. Yeah, Mona bash is important. I still think about Mona bash when when people come into the ED and you need to start getting the ball rolling with the good ones. Good to know. Oh, round two. <laughs> so you have a patient come in, kind of along the same lines. And you look at their EKG and they have ST segment elevations and leads 2, 3, and AVF. Where is the infarction? So 2, 3, and AVF. The F stands for lower, and that means that it is an inferior myocardial infarction, which is typically the uh, RCA, right coronary artery. Perfect. Yep. Does it really stand for 4? I always thought it was foot. No, I say 4 to remember that. Oh. And then Perfect. Uh, 1 and AVL is lateral, so that's a left-sided heart attack. And for extra extra bonus points, um, if someone has a right coronary artery infarction, is there anything else that you might need to consider? Any anything that's supplied by the right RCA typically? So the uh, the right right coronary artery, as you said, the right RCA, uh, also supplies the <laughs> SA and AV nodes. So you might have to consider pacing them. Perfect. And uh, what do you not want to give them unless you like malpractice lawsuits? Something that decreases their preload. It is. Like so a, you like actually, a nitrate? Exactly, yeah. You don't want to give nitrates in a right-sided heart attack. Yeah, that's a great jewel. Right-sided heart failure, do not want to decrease preload. They're preload dependent. Just like me. Cheers. I'll drink to that. So uh, somebody comes into the hospital, and they're old. I'm not going to lie to you. They're old. And they say, my tummy hurts. And you do an exam on them, and you, you poke on their belly, and they're like, that doesn't really hurt, but my tummy really hurts. Like, you know, regardless of how much you're pushing, and take a listen to their heart, and it's just like irregular, bro. What's going on? Because the patient is in a lot of pain, and because they're very old, I'm thinking about a mesenteric ischemia, and yeah. in this setting, maybe an acute mesenteric ischemia. Kind of like the pain out of proportion. Yeah, so poop is not just uh, for the SpongeBob fans, uh, people ordering our patties, but it also stands for uh, pain out of proportion. And so if somebody comes in with poop, uh, you should think about acute mesenteric ischemia. And it's basically just means that they uh, threw a clot, typically they threw a clot from, in this scenario, AFib, and it uh, hit their SMA and decreased the blood flow to their intestines and is giving them pain. Sounds dangerous. How do we, what's like the next best step? If the question asks us, uh, how do we diagnose this? Is there a certain imaging that we would get? Yeah, so you actually want to get a uh, angiogram of the mesenteric system. Okay. I wonder what the treatment treatment is. Uh, I don't even know this. Is it uh, anticoagulation? Is it? Um, I guess it depends on how bad it is. Maybe you need to go in there. Vascular surgeon needs to go in there and actually take out the clot. Yeah. So uh, the treatment is actually papervine, which is a uh, vasodilator that, for whatever reason, has a selective effect and it primarily affects the uh, mesenteric system, and that kind of buys you some time for you know more definitive treatments like surgical you know revascularization or like pompectomy. Um, and in the longer term, that person needs to get their AFib under control and, you know, depending on the chest vascular probably needs to be anticoagulated and yada, yada, yada. Yep. Makes sense. Never heard of Papervina until now, actually. Learned something new. That's cool. All right. I have a 80-something-year-old guy come in. It's not even a buzzword anymore. This podcast has just turned into, like, situations. <laughs> yes. what, buzzword, what buzzwords are these? Um, okay. How about this? Uh, resistant hypertension in an old male. Renovascular hypertension. Perfect. So like stenosis. Yep, exactly. Stenosis of the renal arteries. Um, 
you just want to always kind of consider secondary hypertension in question stems where the patient either has really high blood pressure or they have blood pressure even in the setting of multiple medications. You need to think about um, Cushing's, look at their electrolytes, look at the sodium potassium as a hint, look at, you know, Kahn syndrome, hyperaldosteronism, aortic coarctation, FIA, chromocytoma. Um, each one will give you a little hint, and then you should just kind of understand the electrolyte abnormalities and the next step in diagnosis. For example, the stenosis of renal arteries, how would we look that up? Is that ultrasound typically? It, it is just, you would, you would look for imaging of, of the renal arteries. I don't think they would be that tricky where they would give you one or the other. Um, yeah. I think that, I think the question is likely just asking for your knowledge of um, that being a, a pathological issue. Um, yeah, and so what's the buzzword that you would hear on a physical exam for these patients? Oh, for maybe uh, those bruises in your abdomen? Yeah, exactly. And what yeah. would you be worried about if it was a uh, young female? Uh, you worried about, yeah, vasculitis. Um, don't tell me. All right, tell me. So I think that is actually uh, fibromuscular dysplasia. Yeah. I will definitely drink to that. That's the, uh, this is the first time where it's appropriate to drink. Cheers. Cheers. And so if you got a vascular imaging on that patient, you would actually see kind of the classic beads on a string or a chain of lakes appearance. And uh, I guess besides the renal arteries that get affected by this, it's actually pretty common for them to have a carotid brewery for the, the same reason as well. Huh. All right. So we have a 26-year-old um, female um, who's presenting after a syncopal episode. Um, acknowledges kind of a, a funny kind of sensation in her belly feeling of warmth prior to her syncopal episode. What does that make you think of? She had a vasovagal syncope. Yep, so prodromal symptoms. She has uh, probably some type of trigger. Uh, so it's important every time you see a, a syncopal case in step 2CK or whichever board exam you're taking, make sure you just kind of go through the checklist of what can cause syncope. Think about the brain. Think about, you know, TIAs and strokes. Think about seizures. Think about then the heart. So you want to make sure that if there is an EKG, you look at it. Make sure that you're looking at the heart rate, making sure it's not too bradycardic. We had a prior patient even in this episode that was bradycardic that led to syncope, and then you want to think about vasovagal. Vasovagal is almost a diagnosis of exclusion. You want to make sure you rule out all the other big, bad, scary stuff before telling someone that they have vasovagal. Because vasovagal, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, excuse me, doesn't really decrease your mortality long term. It's actually um, not a diagnosis that will decrease your lifespan by any means. But like something like a, you know, cardiac syncope, um, according to a couple studies, increases your one-year sudden cardiac death rate up to like 40%. So it's something you definitely want to diagnose if it's there. Um, so that the person can get proper management, pacemaker, et cetera, et cetera. Anything else to add? Yeah, and so if uh, you'd read out all those other things and you're pretty sure it's vasovagal syncope, but you're not quite sure and you want to do the definitive test, what would you do? Mm -hmm. Is that the tilt table test? It is, yeah. Remind me what the tilt table test is. So it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those late night infomercials where people with back pain will like clasp their feet into this table thing that will swivel and then kind of hang them upside down like a vampire or like mm -hmm. a bat or something. Uh, so that's just basically exactly something that they do for the tilt table testing. They kind of just put you on one of those things and whip you back and forth. And then if you pass out, then that uh, helps support the diagnosis of a vasovagal syncope. All right. Good way to end it. All right, guys. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or insights, feel free to email us at iatrogenicproductions at gmail.com. Until next time, have a fantastic day and a wonderful week. Bye-bye now. See ya.